UIONS is sponsored by Bet365 and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to You Irons, the West Ham podcast from The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. I'm joined as always by The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. We've got loads to get through as always at the moment. We will kick off talking um, about the Arsenal performance, the team selection and how we think that should impact on the lineup that Moyes should put out at the weekend um, against Wolves. We're also going to be talking about the latest transfer gossip that and rumours and getting some stuff Confirmed by our in the no man, Rashane. That'll come later in the show. So let's talk about the Arsenal game. There's a lot to take in there. I think last season we came up with the term encouraging defeat for two performances. One was against Arsenal, funnily enough, and the other one was against Liverpool. Where we went through this phase where we kind of realised that we might be all right because we were losing, but we were losing quite impressively. Does this fall into the encouraging defeat category, Rashane? A hundred percent, because after the match, I wasn't like, oh, West Ham played terrible. It was like, West Ham, but the better side for large parts of the game, just unable to like take our chances. And I felt like the system worked for us. But I must say, after the match, David, David Moyes looked so annoyed. Like, I've never seen him look so like annoyed in my life. Like, his face, oh my goodness. He was just livid, absolutely livid. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can understand it because the team, everything he did, his team selection, the change of formation and the tactics, I thought were pretty much spot on. So it was only individual errors, both in attack and defence, that cost us that game. There were defensive errors for both goals. The first, I think, was the Declan Rice uncharacteristic error that let Lacazette through. The second was a unfortunately more characteristic Yarmolenko error where he failed to track his man into the box. Um, and in attack, it was just um, a couple of chances that should have gone in. Uh, Mikel Antonio's done so much to help this club over the years, particularly in recent times, that I hesitate to give him any criticism whatsoever. But the chance that he had in the second half from, I think it was uh, Masuaku's cross, you just have to finish those. Um, we were the better team. I feel overall throughout the game, give or take the odd spell, we were the better team. What must have been frustrating for David Moyes was Arsenal were there for the taking. It was a poor performance by Arsenal. We'll rarely get a better chance to beat them. And uh, it's little wonder that Moyes was gutted because, you know, I want to get onto this. Moyes is still coming in for a lot of flack from fans on social media. Not everyone, but a lot. And it's frustrating the hell out of me now because I'm at the stage where I think, what on earth do West Ham fans expect now? Is it just that we've got a generation of fans now who've grown up playing FIFA 
um, or football manager and think it's as simple as that. You know, we 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 prayed for a glamour manager. We got Manuel Pellegrini. He made a complete mess of everything. You're talking in David Moyes about a bloke who is coming not once but twice and pulled us from the jaws of relegation, right? In a, in a heroic way. He's now uh, building a side under extremely difficult circumstances with hardly ever hardly any investment whatsoever. That that you know, to a large degree, looks like it's got a vision, a plan, good tactics. He visibly improves players. We saw him do it with Anortovic. We saw him do it last season with Antonio. He may well be repeating the trick now with Masuaku by turning him into a, a more advanced uh, left-sided player. You know, this is a guy who, who really, if, if what he is doing is not enough for you right now, then I, I struggle to think what manager would do enough for you as a West Ham fan. You know, he's, he's not perfect, but... People say he's a defensive manager. I thought that we attacked brilliantly last season in a run-in where we had to win games to survive. We absolutely annihilated certain teams, such as Norwich and Watford. Yeah, these are teams that went down. But listen, you know, you have to be able to do that against those sides if you're going to avoid relegation. And that's what we did. We created numerous chances against Arsenal, against Liverpool, against Manchester United. You know, this is... This is the manager we need right now, isn't it, Rashane? Oh, absolutely spot on, Sam. My biggest frustration with Pellegrini was he wasn't like playing the likes of Nathan Holland and other good young players. We've seen Moyes, he's trusting you, whether it's Agekia, Ben Johnson or Harrison Ashby, who made his first team debut against Charlton last week. We're playing really good football on the Moyes. That's one thing that people need to understand. Like, if we're not playing defensive football or having everyone behind the ball, like against Arsenal, that was free form football. And as you mentioned, the game was therefore taken for West Ham to win. And for me, there's two players I feel like has improved. I know it's early in the season, but there's two players I looked at and I think, you know what, you've definitely improved. And I'm putting it down to coaching. It's Masuaku and Fredericks. Because last season I was thinking they're good defensively, but they're just such a li- they can be such a liability at times in defence. Masuaku against Arsenal, oh my goodness. The way he just kept running on the left flank, whipping balls into the box. The two chances you mentioned that Antonio had were at Masuaku crosses. And one player who's been really good with his pass in the final third has been Fredericks. His, fi- his, fi- his final ball has been really good, Sam. Against Newcastle, he was unlucky not to get an assist. So I was happy for him when he got the assist for Antonio's goal because... His final ball has been really good. And that's the one area of his game he needed to improve most. So Moyes is like, I have these two good players here. Both are really quick. Let me find a system that works for them. Why not play three at the back, have them both as win-backs, and it almost worked. It almost paid off. And again, that's down to Moyes. He brought in Stuart Pearce, and I know for a fact he must be working with Masuaku on the training ground, getting him to uh, you know be a bit better on the uh, defensive end. And again, that's another decision from Moyes. So I definitely agree with you. Fans should cut in some slack because he's making some good decisions. For a limited time only, we're offering you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You can read all of Rashane's great writing on the Hammers and so much more, including his brand new series entitled Future Stars, where he looks at the brightest prospects in the club's academy. It's the sort of insight you just won't find anywhere else. Just go to theathletic.com slash West Ham pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com West Ham pod and sign up for just £1 a month. If we had uh, Pellegrini or a bigger name manager, I, I question whether or not they would have the, the motivation or the willpower to manage under these circumstances. It was clear that Pellegrini came in and said, I will do this job. 
but only if you give me anything I ask for, like a spoiled child. And I, I listen. I've been around. I've done the lot. I've won the league. I've won La Liga. I'm pretty old. I've got a well-paid job in China. If you expect me to come to your club in East London, I've, I've barely heard of them. Then the only circumstances under which I'm prepared to do it is if you let me put my own director of football and buy all of the players that I want to buy, irrespective of the cost, right, and not be questioned. And, you know, there was a, a, a strong sense that he had a bit of a hands-off approach to coaching and preparing for games. Uh, you know, M Moyes, who is well regarded even by those who criticise his performance at other clubs as an extremely hard-working man, you know, he's looking at all the adversity, the, you know, the bad atmosphere that seemed to be surrounding the club, the obvious difficulties of working for our owners, uh, the lack of investment in the team this summer. And instead of sulking or making excuses, he is making the best of what he's got. And yeah, we didn't play great against Newcastle on the first day. So it, it looked very clearly against Arsenal. They had worked hard on the training pitch all week. He had been resourceful. People say, oh, he's conservative. Listen, he switched from 4-4-2, which he played, uh, sorry, 4-5-1 or whatever you want to call it, to um, three at the back. That's a radical move. You know, it was a radical move. He brought back Masuaku. And like you say, he was our best player. In fact, I would say he was the best player on the pitch for that game. Um, these are these are not the, the actions of a, you know, a, a conventional, um, cautious manager who hasn't really got any ideas, you know, or hasn't got a plan B. Of course, he's got a plan B. We've just seen it. This is a bloke who, who, who you know, you talk about plan B. He convert when, when Haller wasn't performing last season. You know, many managers, Pellegrini included, would have just thought, well, we've got to stick with him. He's our £45 million star striker. And as it happens, we don't have any alternatives anyway. We haven't got any other centre forwards. No, that's not what Moyes did. Moyes did, you know what? He's not working out. He didn't think he, he, he's got a uh, guaranteed place in the side just because he costs a lot of money. I am going to convert on the training field. I'm going to convert Mikel Antonio into the centre forward that we need right now. And that's exactly what he did. Um, it's it's fantastic, really, what he's doing. And listen, I always say, when you praise a manager when you're going through a good phase, you make yourself a hostage of fortune. And, and I, you know, I, even on this podcast in the past, when we've been doing badly, I've questioned whether Moyes should be there. And you know what? I will do again, because we'll go through a terrible run of results where heads will drop and I'll go, nah, maybe we need a change. Because sometimes you do need a change. But for the situation we're in at the moment... Based on what we're seeing on the pitch, it's fine. Now, we might go out and perform against Wolves at the weekend in a similar manner to how we performed against Newcastle. That can happen, right? That's football. That's being West Ham. We are not Liverpool or Barcelona or Manchester City. We are not a, we are not a club who can expect to go and deliver a 9 out of 10 performance every single game. Doesn't happen like that. So there will be ups and will be downs. Part of being a fan is to stick behind the, the, the team and the manager and the players to a large extent. Not always, not unquestionably, but you got you got to stick with them and think, well, we had an off day, but we'll be back stronger. So all the people who are going mad after the Newcastle game, saying we're terrible, we're going down, we're finished, we got nothing. Rashane, one of the big criticisms I saw was that Moyes didn't make substitutions when we were on top. What were your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, to be honest, I, I agree with a lot of fans where, where they're saying that Moyes is still being a bit cautious when it comes to making subs because in that game against Arsenal, the game was there for the taking and he just felt like, you know, be a little bit braver, make a change 10 minutes early because the first change Moyes made was in the 83rd minute. And you're just thinking if it was 10 minutes earlier, whether it was like, you know, bringing on Alaire for Boring instead of Yarmolenko for Boring and putting Antonio to the right wing and putting Alaire up front, that would have been a big move and hopefully we would have been able to get the win. And there were a few instances like that last season where you're just thinking like, Moyes, be a bit more brave when it comes to making subs, just go for it. Don't like settle for the draw. So I agree with a lot of fans when they say that Moyes is still a little bit cautious when it comes to making subs. My, my point of view was that I can see what you mean, but we were playing very well, both defensively and offensively. So the shape was right. The players were sticking to their jobs. We we looked safe at when we were out of possession and we looked we were creating chances going forward. So yes, the, the problem was we hadn't finished any of those chances. So you could argue, well, maybe we should have given Haller a chance. But to my mind, removing it, we were we were on top. We were the to, we looked like the most likely winners. Why would you change that? If we were struggling to create chances or we were struggling in defence, make a change. But I could see what Moyes was saying. He was saying, we're doing really well. Every one of these 11 players is doing their job exactly as I've asked them to do. So who do I bring out? You know, Antonio, to, to have subbed him off would have been extremely harsh um, for, for Haller. I just think I can... And then, of course, we did make a change. We brought on Yarmolenko, who has been a winner for us off the bench um, in the past. And it was him who made the mistake that led to the goal that cost us the game. So, you know, and that's probably why he left it late, because he knew it was a gamble. He thought, if I bring off Bowen and put on Yarmolenko, then all that hard work that Bowen has been doing down that right-hand side all night, we're going to lose that because people know that Yarmolenko, as good as he is going forward, you know, he is a bit lazy tracking back, isn't it? <laughs> a bit lazy. That's played her lightly. Did you see his reactions? Did you see his reaction, Rashad? When the goal went in. Yeah. I think, how, how on earth are you complaining? It's your fault. Like, yeah, yeah, how on earth yeah. are you complaining? I, I saw people say, oh, it's Ryan Frederick's fault. I'm like, no, it's not. It's Jan Malenko's fault. Jan Malenko's the reason why Arsenal scored. And I was saying, I was asked, um, I'm like, all the options on the bench, who's the one who's like, you know, good on, on your offensive end and defensive end. And the only player that I can think of is Robert Snodgrass, like for this system yeah. to work. Yeah, I mean, the problem with, with Snodgrass, I guess, is his lack of pace. But I think that if you... Let's let's come around to Fournaus. I think Fournaus is a player who probably needs to be dropped now for the next game. I think that, you know, he, he, I can't question his work rate, his enthusiasm. But to be honest, he was signed as an attacking player, someone who was going to create things. And he's not really doing enough. He's he's making up for it by doing a lot of hard running, but he is not doing enough in terms of attempting to make a big impact at the at, at, in the attack and create chances out of nothing, which is really what he he became known for in Spain. He needs it, and and also he's completely out of position there on the left. I would much rather have Snodgrass, who again prefers playing on the right or even in the number ten role. But the one thing with Snodgrass is you know he's going to create chances, even from dead balls. His dead ball delivery is probably the best in the squad, you know. Plus, we've seen the last couple of seasons he's capable of um, producing a goal from nowhere as well, once in a while. So, I, you know, I, I actually wouldn't pick either of them for the next game. But I hear what you're saying about Snodgrass. I think he'd be great. I, I personally think the only change I would consider making from the Arsenal game would be to 
put Haller into the team for four nows and either and 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 move um, Antonio in into kind of the number ten role. He's not really a natural number ten, but what I mean is him running off Haller, which we you and I have talked about that a lot. There was the Southampton game last season. He tried it for one game. It was a huge success. And then we never saw it again. I think there might have been an injury after that. But strangely, we didn't see that again. And I think you've got to give Haller a chance. He scored two against Charlton. You can't drop Antonio. The most droppable player in that side now is definitely for now. I'm not saying he's finished. He might come back into the side and do a job later in the season. But I think based on the, the early season form, he's the guy who's got to go. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And... and... Obviously, you mentioned Alain scored two goals last week against Charlton. Oh, I know they're league one side, but he looks good. He always looked like, listen, I'm, I'm still here. I have a point to prove to you guys. I can still be the focal guy up front for West Ham. And provided he has another good game tonight, he'll be like, tomorrow, listen, I need to start. <laughs> I need to start against Wolves. Yeah. And if you think about yeah. the two chances Antonio missed, the one from close range and, and the header that hit the crossbar, you're back in the layer to score at least one of them. At least one of them. And as you mentioned, that could have changed the complexion of the game. So for me, you should, you should have felt hard done by from not starting. And yeah, I agree. That should be the change for the game against Wolves. Now, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. We play Hull tonight in the Caribou Cup. Um, I didn't actually see the Charlton game. I saw the goals. I didn't watch the whole game. Um, some good performances in there, though. Are you expecting the same team to be put out against Hull as was put out against Charlton, Rochelle? Yeah, I reckon Moyes will make a lot of changes. One player who was quite fortunate not to make the match day squad against Arsenal was Josh Cullen because yeah. he was fantastic against Charlton. A lot of uh, good passing, linked up well with his teammates. So I reckon he will start tonight. Uh, also, Felipe Anderson, Lanzini, Ben Johnson, I reckon they'll start as well as hopefully seeing a few on 20 field players on the bench. And again, it's just another yeah. chance for like the fringe players, so to speak, to say to Moyes, hey, I'm still here. I'm still good enough to start. I, I deserve to be, you know, in the starting 11 against Wolves and... Yeah, I reckon that'll be perhaps the changes Moyes makes tonight. Well, speaking of those under-23 players, some of whom got the nod against uh, Charlton, um, I know you're doing a series of articles at the moment on The Athletic about the, the, the new players coming through from our academy. Tell us a bit about about the ones you've been focusing on. Yeah, right now, in my opinion, West Ham are absolutely like, killing it right now in terms of youth football. They're doing a great job, recruiting well, a lot of talent coming through the ranks and all they need is an opportunity and for the athletic this morning I have an article on a, on a player called Osama Ashley, they signed him uh, on, on a free transfer for Wimbledon. He was initially on trial, I was, like, I was at the game against Leighton Orient where he played and oh my goodness, I was like who is this guy? Who is Trialist? I need to know who Trialist is, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was asking everyone because this guy was just so good, a defensive midfielder, 20 years old, he, he loves to tackle Sam, absolutely loves to tackle. So he's not, he's one to look out for. And we covered quite a lot of the players. We covered Meepo, a player we signed from uh, Man United. We covered Harrison Ashby, Kai Colbert, a player who does well for the 23s, uh, Daniel Chesters, uh, Manuel Longo, promising left back. So there's a lot of good young players coming through. And as I mentioned earlier in the pod, a player who made his first team debut last week against Charlton was Harrison Ashby. You know, the right back, he was really good. Really good. So it's, it's, a, it's a really good time right now to be a young player at West Ham because we have a manager and Moyes who will give young players a chance. So just hopefully they're not sold off. <laughs> what's, the, what's the change been? I mean, we were, we were obviously very famous historically for our academy, but there was a fallow period where really only, you know, Mark Noble was the only notable first team player. I guess we had a period where Zola bought through the likes of Collinson and, and Tompkins and... 
and Freddie Sears and some of them worked out better than others. But there has been a fallow period until now. What has changed in, in our academy setup that we're suddenly producing more players with first team potential? There's been three, for me, there's been three important changes. Uh, the first being Ricky Martin replacing Terry Wesley as academy director. The second being Kevin Keane, you know, former yeah. player for us, uh, becoming under twenty three, under eighteen's manager. And for me, perhaps the biggest one of them all is Dimitri being appointed the under twenty three's manager. Because when I say this guy is highly respected in youth football, like this guy is really good. He had a big part to play in um, James Madison's development at Norwich. He, he he's a guy who knows talent and. Of the players I mentioned, what, two have, have so far played in the first team this season in Harris Nashby and Longello in the preseason game. So for me, he's been the best of them all. So who's this bloke? Sorry, I'm, I don't know about him. Dimitri. Yeah, Dimitri. I can't pronounce, I think it's last name pronounced, uh, Halajko. Right. I'll tell you what for me, mate. <laughs> and, we, and we took him, we poached him from Norwich, did we? No, poached him from Leicester City, but he also used oh. to be at Norwich. Right. He was also there as well. So. Yeah, he's really good at developing young players. And as I mentioned, the players that I mentioned earlier who West Ham fans should look out for, some of them are already featured in the first team. And that's down to Dimitri's development because he's really big. And when I interviewed Asama for the um, series piece, he says, you know, he really goes out his way to make young players feel welcome, to make young players feel motivated by the fact they can have a, a realistic chance of breaking through into the first team. So players naturally will want to go the extra mile to do well for him. So, yeah, a really, really great appointment for West Ham. We've done well for the club ever since. UIs is brought to you by Hims. If you haven't heard of them, they're basically your best mate when it comes to those tricky men's health problems. Balding is an awkward topic for men, yet a lot of us start to lose our hair before we hit 40. I did, and now I'm extremely shiny on top. The best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. Hims was created to make it easier for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing their doctor in person for awkward health conversations. Not everyone wants to have personal conversations face to face with a stranger in a white coat. So Hims connects you to real doctors online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. You'll get a proper consultation and they'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. It couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.co.uk slash athletic. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot co dot UK slash athletic. There's two different things going on here. There's the, the team that performed very well against Arsenal. And we've been discussing whether or not he should stick more or less with that side and that formation for the Wolves game. But there is the situation where we're playing Hull He's going to play a lot of fringe players and some youngsters. You know, do, do you think he's going to be open-minded? You know, if, if a player goes out tonight like like Haller did against Charlton and gets a couple of goals, do you think there's a chance of playing themselves in? Because you'd be forgiven if you're a West Ham fringe player now for thinking, well, what hope is there? Because, you know, all these players turned it on against Charlton and, and they didn't get a look in against Arsenal. Classic manager sort of uh, thing you try and do to motivate your players. I didn't put in a Maxi squad against Arsenal. So show me why he deserves to be in a Maxi squad against Wolves. And we mentioned this in previous podcasts. It's good to have competition because for me, one of the biggest frustrations last season at West Ham is like players just playing week in, week out. The, the competition, the, the place wasn't really under threat. So they can have a crap performance, but they know they're playing the next game. That applies to like of Valera when he was struggling, Diop when he was struggling, Cresswell when he was struggling. So now players, players are like, hey, if I don't play well, I could be out of the team. So it's good to have that. And I'm happy, you know, we're seeing that in our Moyes. 
Let's get on to a bit of transfer news, mate. We've been linked with a lot of players this week, but that's been happening every week and nothing <laughs> seems to come of it. Um, so what I'm reading is that we've had a final bid that totals, once you top up all the add-ons, to £35 million for Tarkovsky. Is that true? And how likely is it to happen? Well, there's all, all interest with James Tarkovsky is not ended. The best time I'm wow. going to try and turn yeah, their attentions elsewhere. It's, it's something Moyes definitely be up and again, his press conference. But yeah, all interest is, has now ended. The valuation that's, that's official. That's just, uh, yeah. they, they, Burnley have said no way unless you get yeah. closer to 50 yeah, or West Ham have dropped it. Yeah, West Ham have dropped it. Looking at other alternatives now. And last week in Moyes' uh, pre-match press conference, he said, he's been office for a few players. He didn't name names, but he said some have been loans, some have been transfers. So he's hoping to have some news by the end of this week. And obviously, we have, what, less than two weeks ago until the window closes. So, you know, there's got to be some sort of sign at some point. Earlier in the transfer window, the the rumour was that we had a short list of three or four centre-backs. John Stones, Duffy, Phil Jones, I think, were the, were the three main ones that were reported far and wide. But, yeah, th- then the Tarkovsky rumour came along and we forgot about them. Is there, is there still a, a kernel of interest in any of these other places, whether or not we'd want them? I don't know, fans will disagree on that, but the likes of Jones and Stones? Yeah, well, I was initially interested in Stones and, you know, to remember, like, Moyes pretty much gave him his chance at, at Everton and, you know, he went from where he wanted to play to join Man City. But it, it's a deal that West Ham couldn't get over the line for a number of different reasons. Obviously, Stones started the match last night against Wolverhampton Wanderers, so now you're wondering, like, perhaps he's going to become a first-team regular for Man City this season. Because the, the basis of that deal was trying to be done on the basis of that, you know, Moyes, not Moyes, sorry, that Stones wouldn't be first team regular at Man City. But yeah, that deal wasn't able to get over, done over the line, unfortunately. So looking at other targets and if Moyes plans on sticking with his system, he's definitely looking at like all carrying defenders, players who could possibly play in the wing backs, left wing back, right wing back as well. So that still remains a priority for, uh, for Moyes in terms of recruitment. So, few other people being linked. One that worries me, Rashane, I don't know whether you can confirm or deny it, is yeah. Danny Rose. I don't know if you've been watching the All or Nothing um, <laughs> Tottenham series, which I can tell you is, I mean, as a West Ham fan, it's absolutely fantastic entertainment. I've always quite liked Jose Mourinho. People hate him. A lot of people in football hate him. I think he's absolutely top quality entertainment. But there's some like real laugh out loud moments. And some of them are provided by Danny Rose, who throughout the series has got the raging hump um, with both Levy and uh, Mourinho for not giving him enough game time. It's a great scene where he, he, he accosts um, Daniel Levy in the canteen in the morning and says, any news on my transfer situation? And Daniel Levy's sat there eating his cereal and it looks like he's been caught on the hoof. And he goes, oh, yeah. Newcastle are definitely watching you. Bournemouth are interested, but they're not sure if they can afford your wages. And Danny, there's a pause and Danny Rose just looks a bit gutted and nods and goes, huh, what about Milan? <laughs> and he goes, oh, they've gone quiet, to be honest. <laughs> uh, you really do feel for him. And then, so I'm laughing at that. And, uh, and then you read uh, West Ham could be in for Danny Rose. This is such a classic West. If it happens, it's almost like, the quintessential West Ham transfer. Ex-England player on his way down, not even third choice at his current club. We'll have him. It will be, but again, it's, it, it doesn't fit the type of player Moy trying to bring in. He wants to bring young, exciting players. Danny Rose, the same age as Aaron Cresswell. 
and they're both on a decline. So it, it makes no sense whatsoever. West Ham want to try and sign sign him. You're better off looking at getting a younger player or someone like a, a Matt Vienko, the Shakhtar defender who can play centre half and left left back. So he'll be naturally perfect for the system. Or, or perhaps a worst case scenario, as David Ornstein revealed in his column, look at someone like Emerson for Chelsea, not a Danny Rose on decline. And yeah, well, listen, I agree, and I de- and I'm sure David Moyes agrees as well. But there's another fella in our club. Yeah. Who sometimes, <laughs> according to Sam Allardyce's autobiography, sometimes will make transfers without even informing the manager about it, and the first thing he knows is that he turns up at the training ground. Let's hope that that man doesn't get tempted by the idea that, that Danny Rose, about five years ago, was the best left attacking left-back in the country and possibly in Europe. And let's think, of, he, he didn't. He wasn't particularly amazing during his lone spot at Newcastle. Like, he didn't no. set the world alight. And I'm, I'm just thinking, from the basis that we could be involved in a relegation fight, from what I've seen in Danny Rose in that documentary, he didn't look like a team player to me. You know, sort of throwing his teammates under the bus saying some were training hard, they shouldn't be in the first first team I mean we don't really want that at West Ham right now so great great documentary though I mean you know this is a West Ham podcast not a Spurs one but I would encourage West Ham fans to watch it anyway because you know what I like I just put on Twitter is like I watched the City one right and it couldn't have gone any better for the makers of the programme because the whole series built towards them winning the league in the last episode I mean you couldn't have scripted it better it's brilliant the Spurs one they obviously are hoping something similar will happen again. But by halfway through, you realise, well, right from the beginning, you realise there's no chance of them winning the league. By mm, episode 10 of 12, I think it is, you're pretty certain they're not going to get in the Champions League. And then it kind of peters out where the high drama at the end is whether or not they're going to qualify for the Europa League which they do, and there's these kind of muted celebrations, but obviously, ultimately, everyone sees it as a bit of a failure. And so for the final episode, they don't have the big crash-bang-wallop conclusion that they had with the City one. So then what can we do? And they don't know what to actually put in a documentary to end it dramatically. So there's this bizarre scene where, for no reason whatsoever, they send Jose Mourinho and Daniel Levy on harnesses to walk around on the roof of the new stadium and just look out and look at the view. And it's really bizarre and slightly pathetic because that's really the only idea they've got to end it because nothing's happened on the field of play. Fantastic entertainment, isn't it, Rashane? No, definitely. I'm, I'm just imagining if it were one like that for West Ham, oh my goodness, it would be nominated for every award. Oh, it'd be brilliant. I mean, that's it. If you're going to go for a club that don't win anything, go for West Ham. Because we might not win anything, but we will offer a huge amount of drama and entertainment off the field in all manner of ways. So, yeah, I, I would love to see the cat. I mean, I would be embarrassed, obviously, but I would it would be a it would be a fascinating thing to watch. But I doubt I doubt they'll ever be allowed into our club. There's too much to lose. <laughs> um, my other the other bit I really really like, Rashane. Is did you see Harry Kane's gender reveal party? Oh Virtual gender re- reveal party. Oh my goodness! I, I know what, you know what's so good. We had we had all the family members on the, on the uh, virtual uh, screen yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he had a big screen. He's got a screen that's been put out on the training pitch with all his family members on it, like the Brady bunch. And he walks out like he's a, it's his wedding day. I think he's in a suit. His two daughters are in special dresses. His wife appears to be in her wedding dress. And I couldn't, well, I mean, to be honest, mate, this is how out of the loop I am. 
I'd never even heard of gender reveal parties. My wife had to explain what it was, right? <laughs> that even that the, the very notion was a big leap to me. And that was before the point at which Harry Kane smashes a football at a giant football-shaped piñata dangling from a <laughs> from a crossbar and it explodes in blue powder to reveal that the baby that is brewing inside his wife's womb is a boy. Absolutely, I mean I've got a bit of a cold and a temperature at the moment and I had to check that I wasn't suffering some sort of fever dream. <laughs> it was that mad. Absolutely bonkers. You know what's hilarious, right? It's, it, it sort of ties into your tweet. Can you imagine about the ultrasound, right? And, and the nurse is like, hey, so do you want to find out the sex of your baby? Harry Kane's like, you know what? We have it all planned out. We're going to kick this ball out of this thing and, and it was going to tell us to tell us the gender of the baby and then we'll, just, we'll go about it that way. But thanks for your help. We really appreciate it, Will. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, it's oh, brilliant. Anyway, enough Spurs chat. Oh, one last transfer rumour. How Mario, who I thought was great for us when Moyes brought him in on loan a couple of years ago. Um, he's being heavily linked with us. Do you know anything about that? Again, that's again, that's, that's paper talk at the minute because we've been linked to everyone under the sun right now mm. for West Ham. So nothing concrete in terms of um, like an offer from a player yet. But as you mentioned, someone who did do well at West Ham previously, someone who could perhaps, if it were to, to materialise a move, replace four nails in that role. So definitely one to yeah. look out for, but no offers whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised with limited funds, although I like Al Mario and I think it'd be a great acquisition. You know, defence is obviously where we're focused. And I think an attacking midfielder would be a surprise addition to the squad now, wouldn't it? Hi there, I'm David Ornstein, host of the Athletics Ornstein and Chapman podcast. And I'm here to tell you about Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. And you can also listen to me on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. It's myself, Mark Chapman, and the Athletics stable of expert writers, bringing you unrivaled insight into the biggest stories in the game every single week. Just lastly, taking the knee is obviously in the what is a wider football story at the moment in a big way, and race continues to be a big debate in the game. And and uh, you know, just interesting to see that QPR. Um, decided not to continue with that, you know, little tradition that's evolved in their game on Friday night. Came in for a bit of criticism. Les Ferdinand, um, who I know that you you chat to once in a while about various stories, he, he made a very eloquent and powerful um, statement about why it is that QPR decided to stop taking the knee. What do you make of that? Yeah, yeah, you know, a powerful statement. And one that you felt like he just had to pull out. I actually spoke to Les on uh, Saturday, in fact, just to get his version of... You know, why QPR didn't take the knee? And Fales, he's just frustrated, as I imagine many people in the Football League right now. There's been no direction whatsoever from, from EFO in terms of how long taking the, taking the knee would last, whether it would last for two matches, four matches, until the rest of the year, until the rest of the season. So they were like, hey, why are you leaving it down to the club to decide? Like, you guys are the, the high guys in authority. You should be doing it. And Les is like, you know what? It's all good, everyone taking a knee. 
but he's tired. He's tired now. He's tired of wearing badges, wearing t-shirts. Right now, he demands action. And I feel like I, I felt like it was it was wrong for Sky to like criticize QPR for not taking any because in terms of community work, QPR are probably the best in England when it comes to doing stuff in the community. Their stadium right now is called the Kyron Prince Stadium, and that's named after a U team player who tra- tragically lost his life to a knife crime in 2006. They've been through it all, so they're like, we're taking an E, but we're not seeing our action. We're not seeing anything change. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't blame them whatsoever. And as I mentioned, powerful statement. A huge amount of work that um, QPR and I know Les individually did around the Grenfell Tower disaster as well. And, and you know, activity, you know, obviously they're very local to where that tragedy took place. And they did a huge amount of activity around that as well, didn't they, to support the community. So you're right, it's a bit rich them coming in for criticism. And also Les, long before he was even in this current role at QPR, was someone who's always been very vocal about the fact that a lot of what football does is just the sort of um, cosmetic response to racism in the game as opposed to an actual practical response. So he's been pretty consistent in this message over the years, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And also, like, it's not just Les, like, also Chris Ramsey as well at uh, QPR has also been vocal about this. And Les, one thing with Les is like, you know, there's a lot of lip service out right now on these sort of things. But he's adamant, like, hey, football clubs, we're not going to be the one that's going to, like, take the blame here. Like, the EFL, they got to stand up and, you know, show, show some sort of authority. When everyone was, like, doing the clapping for the NHS, we knew it was going to come to an end. Yeah, interesting subject. We will return to it as well. And, and uh, you know, we should also discuss what, what West Ham's uh, position on this is and, and how much work they're doing on it too. Um, for now, though, Roshane, uh fantastic as always to chat to you. Let's look forward to hopefully a victory tonight against Hull City and a better performance against Wolves at the weekend. I mean... Let's do a couple of predictions. Wolves seem to have been a bogey side for us since they got back into Premier League. They are formidable opponents. They lost to City last night, but I mean, you know, there's no shame in losing to Manchester City. Always a nervy one against Wolves, isn't it? They seem to have the better of us. Yeah, always a nervy one. I, 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 try, I try to be optimistic as much as I can, but I'm, I don't think that'll be a win for West Ham on Sunday because, as you mentioned, Wolves are a bogey team for us. We just, for whatever reason, we just can't seem to beat them. For whatever reason. Whether it's... Uh, Striker Jimenez or, or whether it's Traore, like it's like I remember the, if you remember the match after lockdown, we're looking decent. Traore came off the bench and just changed the game. So you know something yeah. like that's happening again. He's gonna come on with his six pack and he's gonna just rip through the whole defence again. So I think our players go weak at the knees just looking at the bloke <laughs> yeah. when he struts out there. He's looking more spectacular than ever now as well with the hairdo. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, um, no, it is a scary prospect. I'll be happy with the point. I'm gonna predict one all. Uh, I'm going to predict probably a 2-0 defeat. Wow. 2-0 defeat, yeah. 2-0 defeat. But obviously, as you mentioned, cut, cut game tonight and providing West Ham win, which they should because against the whole City team, us in League One. Uh, fourth round draw, we, we'll play either uh, Everton or Fleetwood Town in the fourth round. So, yeah. How the okay. hell is the Caribou Cup yeah. working now? <laughs> like, they're, go- they're doing the draw right up till yeah. the final, like, way before. <laughs> and, and the games just keep happening non so I've lost all track. <laughs> But it's quite good fun, so I'm I'm going along with it. But I don't I haven't got a clue how the Caribou Cup works. It's insanity. Pretty much, pretty much every week now the Carib- there's a picture of a Caribou Cup. Yeah, and they're doing the draw for like this time next year. They did it two weeks ago. Unbelievable. Um, all right, well, we'll keep an eye on that. And hey, one thing I've learned from Jose Mourinho in that All or Nothing series is that it's all about mentality and positive mentality. And what he tells his players over and over again is no matter what happens in the game, no matter what mistakes are made or what goes wrong for us, 
Don't let it affect you. Keep looking forward and keep being positive. Now, he's a guy, I love him all over him. He's had a huge amount of success in football. And I think that that seems to be the central message of everything he communicates within his team. And I would say, let's as fans learn from that as well. Rashane might be right. We might lose 2-0 against Wolves. But there's a phrase which is, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? If we lose 2-0 to Wolves, who are a very good team, Let's try not to immediately jump onto Twitter or anywhere else where we can make our voice heard and say that every player is rubbish, the manager's useless and we're definitely going down. Let's understand it's a long season. We're still in the early stages. Anything can happen. That's my message of positivity for today to everyone listening. Thank you for listening, as always. Thank you, Rashane, for joining us. Everyone, I urge you to go and read Rashane's uh, recent stuff on the, the under-23s and all the other fantastic stuff on The Athletic. Until next time, gang, come on you irons and remember, there's only one Samasia Boo. 